Thanks for choosing a 3CR podcast. Throughout June 2021, we're running our annual Radiothon when we ask you, the listener, to make a donation so that we can continue to make great radio. Your donation will help keep us community-owned and community-controlled. Go to 3cr.org.au forward slash donate. And with that done, please enjoy your podcast. Good afternoon, listeners. This is the Dogs Programme. You know, well, we, we bark, or we hope we bark, but we're not your usual dogs. We are here as the defence of government schools. And we are here to promote and to defend public education. And we have a website at www.adogs.info if you want to find out more about us. And this afternoon, we've got a whole hour of the most relevant news from the last week. And there's actually been a lot of it. Uh, I'd like to just refer, before we start with our press release 913, with um, breaking news. President Biden has acted to restore religious freedom by rescinding a Trump-era labour rule. And this means that people cannot discriminate against people on the basis of religion, sexual preference or anything else when it comes to employment. Uh, Mr Trump had put this back into the pre-World, Second World War period where uh, charities and other people could uh, just give jobs to people of their own faith. So um, we are also, because we are anti-state aid to private schools, we are for the separation of church and state. So we've got a press release, 913, And as we tell you almost every week that we're here, our state schools, our public education throughout Australia is badly underfunded, particularly by the federal government, but also by the Victorian state government, which uh, is not uh, without uh, problems in this area. But um, this means that there are people who are trying to help with their own funds, parents, but also people of goodwill. And there is, in fact, a state schools relief fund which has been set up to help children who are vulnerable and who need computers. So Oliver's going to read uh, from our press release 913 to tell us about this fund. Over to you, Oliver. Thank you, Jane. Press release 913, state schools relief and laptops for vulnerable students. Victorian NFP State Schools Relief is aiming to raise $500,000 for 1,000 laptops and internet dongles at approximately a cost of $500 per device via a GoFundMe campaign to enable full engagement in home-based learning to further strengthen the educational outcomes for students in need. Repeated lockdowns have meant that students are often restricted to home-based learning. It is estimated that there are thousands of Victorian students who do not have access to a device. Some homes may have one device and three children, so learning is challenging and some students will miss out. In April, SSR trialled a program to give laptops to senior VCE and VCAL students so they could continue their learning. The laptops are theirs to keep so they can be used in post-schooling career training, such as trade school or tertiary study. The impact was immediate, as evidenced by feedback from students and their families. However, while the trial of Access 1000 was able to assist some students immediately. There were still 931 students who did not receive the technological support to continue remote lockdown. So State Schools Relief is continuing the Access 1000 project and has established a GoFundMe campaign to raise $500,000 to ensure that no child is left behind during Victoria's extended lockdowns. Donations can be made via the GoFundMe website, which is bit.ly slash 3MDR 
F-L-Y, a link that Dale will kindly make available for us when she releases the podcast. Applications are currently open now and where? Uh, donate by that link that I just gave. Now over to Maddie, who's going to read us a press release from the State Schools Relief Group. Thank you so much. Oh, yes, the State Schools Relief, a Victorian non-for-profit, has set the target to raise $500,000 to provide laptops to 1,000 financially disadvantaged Victorian students to help bridge the digital divide and remove lack of technological access as an additional barrier to education. State Schools Relief, as Ollie said, is aiming to raise $500,000 for 1,000 laptops and internet dongles at an approximate cost of $500 per device via a GoFundMe campaign to enable full engagement in home-based learning to further strengthen educational outcomes for students in need. The inherent inequality in education was highlighted during the COVID-19 pandemic in mid-2020 when many vulnerable students were unable to participate in their learning remotely due to not having access to the digital tools necessary to facilitate their education. In response, State Schools Relief, in partnership um, with Gandell Philanthropy, the Benelong Foundation and Equity Trustees, was able to provide financially disadvantaged students with 30 Chromebooks, 132 internet dongles with 4G mobile broadband access, and 178 laptops to assist them in continuing their education remotely in 2021. While these partnerships were able to positively impact many disadvantaged students immediately, there were 931 students remaining that were unable to be provided with a device, an issue State Schools Relief is seeking to rectify through the continued efforts of the Access 1000 project and their GoFundMe campaign. Sue Karzis, CEO of State Schools Relief, believes that by providing these students with the digital means to continue their education, is the key to breaking the cycle of poverty in Australia. COVID-19 brought to light the digital divide and lack of access and equity to the digital tools required to engage with remote learning. This is a quote from Sue. This includes not only having a device, but also internet connectivity and access to a dedicated space in which to study. Very important. Students from vulnerable backgrounds are already starting at a disadvantage and they need assistance to stay engaged with their education, which I believe is a pathway to breaking the cycle of poverty, said Sue. State Schools Relief is currently seeking to connect with and inspire those who would like to be a part of the Access 1000 project and donate to help raise $500,000 for 1000 laptops and internet dongles to further strengthen educational outcomes for students in need. And again, that link, where you can donate um, will be uh, on the podcast that Dale uploads. So people look out for that. And it will also be on the DOGS website in our press release. And in the meantime, if you'd like to find out where it is before the podcast goes up, you can just do a search for State School Relief uh, and they have a website, stateschoolrelief.org.au, where you'll find further links to the donation page. Well, thank you very much. Uh, But the tragedy is, of course, that uh, it takes charitable people like uh, the State School Relief people to put in the gaps of funding which our governments are negligent with with our um, our public schools. And we'll have a bit of a break and Jeff is going to come back and tell us how our Melbourne children have been left behind in the funding imbalance. Do you need to renew your subscription? Make a donation. Or pass on some information to a programmer. We can't get to the phone all the time right now, but we're still here. You can call us on 03 94198377 each weekday between 1 and 5pm and talk to a staff member. That's 03 94198377. 3CR Community Radio, here to stay. This is the Dogs Program and we've just been listening to a press release from State School Relief Fund uh, as they try to get laptops to the vulnerable children in our community who were desperate to get them with the covid times. And, of course, as everybody knows, um, computers are essential 
part of, the, of a child's education these days. But unfortunately, the money's not coming from the governments. Uh, Gonski told us what was required uh, in ways of funding for our children, but I'm afraid the governments, for all of their uh, do-gooding uh, talk, have not come up with the goods. Over to you, Jeff. Thanks, Jean. Um, this article is titled "The Educator," and it's called. It's in the Educator. I'm sorry, and it's entitled "Melbourne Kids Left Behind by the SRS Imbalance uh, it's Union" uh, by Britt Hennebury, and it was on the 8th of November, 2021. Uh, the new figures, he says, released over the weekend, show that the Melbourne public school students miss out on nearly two thousand a year because $2,000 a year because of imbalances in the school resource standard, SRS, and that with proper funding, these schools could employ an average of 12 more teachers and reduce average class sizes by five students. The data released by the Education Union, Australian Education Union, AU, adds to the growing number of reports that reveal the extent of the funding gap between public and private schools across Australia. In May, figures published by the Australian Curriculum Assessment and Reporting Authority, ACRA, on, on its national report on schooling data portal found that per student funding for private schools has increased six to eight times that of public schools since 2009. Wow, that's a lot. Yes, a nationwide is. YouGov poll also reveals that more than eight in 10 Australians, 83%, believe public school funding is too low and that increasing it should be a priority issue at the next federal election. Listen to a, that, Mr Albanese. Absolutely. I mean, there's people, everybody wants more funding for public schools. It's really clear. Uh, AEU Federal President, uh, Karina Haythorpe, said last, the, the latest figures should concern every Melbourne parent and community member. Funding that could be used to employ additional teachers and support staff and to provide the smaller class sizes and additional learning programs that every student deserves, Haythorpe said. And By refusing, the computers, the computers too. Oh, yeah. All, all across the curriculum, I think they're, they're struggling to get materials, they're struggling to keep staff at levels that they need to. Um, by refusing to address public school funding inequities, the federal government is putting the future of our children at risk. AEU Victorian branch president Meredith Peace highlighted the benefits that would flow to local public school students if the federal government properly and fairly funded Melbourne public schools. With a minimum of 100% of the SRS, she says, public school students in Melbourne would benefit from more support and greater individual attention, Peace said. Additional funding would provide more specialist teachers, more professional development, and additional time for teaching and learning for all schools. Haythorpe said, studies have shown that professionally supported workforce, uh, a, a smaller class sizes and more individual attention and learning support can change a child's life. That's why it's so important that every school has the resources needed to ensure every child has the greatest opportunity to reach their full potential, she said. The COVID-19 pandemic has exacerbated the pre-existing inequities in education and continues to seriously impact on students, our members and the communities they serve. However, Haythorpe said, investment in public education would ameliorate that risk and deliver a strong foundation for our nation's long-term recovery from COVID-19. The federal government must understand the critical importance of funding every public school properly to a minimum of 100% of SRS, ensuring that every child has a high quality education regardless of their background. Oh, many thanks, sir. Yes, so very interesting. And you'll find when we get to the great state school that... Um, the resource standard for a primary school, I think, is about 12,000. And that 2,000 figure is a very interesting one indeed. But um, we'll have a bit of a break and then Sol is going to tell us how the teachers are reacting to this lack of funding and their salary scales. Housing for the Aged Action Group has gone digital to help stop the spread of the coronavirus, but we're still here. If you're over 50 years old and having problems with your housing, we can help. If you're having trouble paying the rent, problems with your retirement village manager or concerned about your caravan park, give us a call on 1300 765 178. We can also help connect you with aged care services and emergency relief if you need it. Stay safe, everyone. 
Well, this is still the dogs program. We hope you're still with us because we've been talking about how the fund, funding issue of public education in Australia is going to be um, a very interesting issue for the next federal election. Mr Morrison appears to be in uh, election mode already. Uh, he sure needs to be because uh, I think a lot of people are a bit fed up with Mr Morrison. But um, we're going to fi find out from Sol how Victorian uh, teachers are going to deal with the current Labor government because Mr Andrews' government hasn't come to the party on giving enough money to our public schools either. Over to you, Sorrel. Thanks, Jean. So Victorian Labor MPs have suspended from schools as union ramps up pay fight. State school staff will seek to ban Andrews government MPs from setting foot on school grounds from Tuesday as the teachers union ramps up its campaign for better pay and conditions. Teachers will also disrupt the statewide effort to shift NAPLAN from paper to online in time for next year's test by refusing to conduct trial tests for students for the rest of this term. A day after Education Minister James Merlino visited Gels Park Primary, a government school in Melbourne's east, to announce rapid antigen testing for schools for students aged under 12, teachers say Mr Molino and his parliamentary colleagues are no longer welcome on school grounds. Though the Australian Education Union cannot literally ban a government MP from visiting a school, it has directed members to instantly begin a one-hour stop work if one does. Union members have also been encouraged to wear red and protest at the front of the school if a government minister visits their school. A the ban is intended to deny Andrews government MPs promotional opportunities attended by gaining, gained by attending schools, the union said. These visits disrupt scheduled student learning and create workload for the principals and other staff, whilst politicians get free media they can use to promote themselves in their electorate, Victorian branch president Meredith Peith said. It is one of three new actions government school staff will take from Tuesday in an industrial campaign that has so far stopped short of striking, though Fair Work has granted union members permission to strike as part of their campaign. They will also refuse to progress NAPLAN online school readiness testing, an essential part of the standardised testing's transition from paper to online. All Australian schools are due to sit the test online next year, but Victoria is already lagging behind other states in making the switch. Education Minister James Merlino announced that rapid antigen tests will help halve the isolation period for school students. Each school's completion of the program is crucial in ensuring all schools are sufficiently pre prepared to deliver the tests online, the Victorian Curriculum and Assessment Authority said. About 60% of Victorian schools have not yet moved to NAPLAN online. They have until December 15th to complete the online readiness tests, which require students to complete a 42-minute writing test and a 45-minute test of reading, language conventions and numeracy. The union claims the ban will be a win for students, giving them more time to be taught by their teachers rather than complete a trial test that is not connected to their learning. Education support staff will also refuse to do any work on their unpaid lunch breaks. The AEU and the Department of Education and Training have been negotiating over a new Victorian government schools agreement since May. The union's log of claims includes three annual salary increases of 7%, 16.5% annual superannuation, limiting class sizes to a maximum of 20 students and reductions in face-to-face -face teaching time. School staff have already launched partial bans on attending meetings, responding to department emails or implementing the framework for improving student outcomes, a pet state government project for schools. Union members have been warned that the department could dock their pay for engaging in stop work action. An Andrews government spokesperson said, we will continue to negotiate in good faith with our hardworking teachers and school staff. Well, I think that's very imaginative. Uh action, isn't it? But um, there's a very good reason, of course, why teachers are not happy and why they are taking action. But uh, we'll have a bit of a break and Jeff 
will tell us uh, the background to this action. Well, brothers and sisters, what a show of strength we've got here today. Local issues. So I'm here at the school, kids strike for climate action. Live coverage. Join the, the spirit of this gathering here today at IMAR. Your voices. So give us a bit of a lowdown about what's happening. There's about 200, 250 people here at the moment. Community struggles. We're now in front of the uh, Tundaminawaya Mōbōhina Monument. I'd like to thank Community Radio 3CR, who for the last decade has been broadcasting here. Feed Radical Radio, your membership is vital. A few hundred people about to pass us right now. Lots of young people standing up for their future. Subscribe today. Go to 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe or call the station on 9419 8377. Well, if you're hearing us, then you are still with the dogs program. And Jeff is going to tell us why the Victorian teachers are utterly fed up with the Andrews government and are prepared to take action. Over yeah, to thanks. You. Thanks, Jean. This is a background article and it was published on July 30th, uh, 2021, and it's by Michael Fowler. And it's titled Exhausted Victorian Teachers Move on Industrial Action as Wages Negotiations Stall goes on. The union representing Victorian state school teachers and principals has taken the first step towards industrial action, including a possible statewide strike over its stalled workplace agreement negotiations with the Andrews government. As tensions rise between the exhausted teachers demanding a 7% annual pay rise and a state government intent on tightening its public sector wage bill, the Australian Education Union's Victorian branch unanimously agreed on Friday to finalise plans for a ballot where teachers would vote on what action to take. The union says teachers are exhausted and working an average of 15 hours overtime a week. In previous negotiations, actions have included bans on reading department communications, writing reports and attending meetings after hours. A strike would follow if the dispute was not resolved. The last strike occurred under the Bailiw government in 2012 when thousands of teachers filled Rod Laver Arena in protest. Teachers and principals want a wage increase amounting to 21% over the next three years, along with significant cuts to face-to-face teaching hours and a 16.5% superannuation. Class sizes would shrink to a maximum of 20 students at all year levels under the union's log of claims, down from a current maximum of 26 at primary level and 25 in school secondary schools. The 7% request is at odds with the Andrews government decision, decision to tighten its wage policy in the May budget. So public servants' annual wage increase would drop from 3%, including wages and entitlements, to 2% from January. It was one of several cost-saving measures as the state contends with the expected $11 billion deficit deficit by next July due to the coronavirus pandemic. Um, Goodwill remains between the two parties, but the union, union has grown frustrated at the government's failure to make an official offer despite 50 negotiation meetings dating back to December, the equivalent of about seven a month, and the existing workplace agreement expiring in April. It still expects to sign a deal before the new wages policy comes into effect next year. The union's Victorian president, Meredith Peace, has repeatedly warned the state's underfunded school system was driving thousands of teachers out of the profession. Australian Education Union Victorian President Meredith Peace is pushing for a 21% pay rise, pay rise over, the, over three years. The union survey of 10,800 government school staff found four in every 10 Victorian state school teachers was considering switching jobs and that they work an average of 15 hours of overtime a week. Wow. We've sort of, we've sort awesome. of yeah. Um, the request- and they can't, afford, they can't afford to lose one teacher because of all the enrolments that are going to be coming into the state schools. That's and then right. in another five years, there'll be an even bigger upsurge of, uh, of enrolments because there's been a lot of um, begetting going on in COVID with all of the gentlemen at home. <laughs> so, what uh, happens when the lights go out, Jean? It's yeah. a bit like the, the blackout. <laughs> well, 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 the joke down in Tasmania and Queenspeople, of course, was that um, the, uh, the, the railway used to... The, the, um, the trains used to wake people up at 
six o'clock in the morning. But, um, yes, the point <laughs> is that uh, people are having children and uh, we know that they are there when they are in the labour wards and they eventually come into our schools and they yeah, so can't we... afford to lose any teachers because they need thousands more. Well, if your prediction's right, Jean, we should be needing a huge increase in uh, public school uh, investment in the next uh, five years or so? Indeed. The private sector can't and won't do it. Never have, never can, never will. We have to put the money into our children in our public schools. We'll have a little break and we'll be right back after this. Kafirs are Palestinian scarves and they're a symbol of support for justice for the Palestinian people. Buying one will support the last remaining factory in Hebron that makes kafirs and all proceeds from the sales support projects in Palestine, especially Gaza, as well as local solidarity organisations. From the traditional black and white kafir to an array of modern designs, all scarves are just $30 each. Explore the range and order online or drop by 3CR during business hours. Wear your support for the rights of Palestinians. Go to kafiyas.org.au. That's K-U-F-I-Y-A-S.org.au. A 3CR supporter. Yes, well, the uh, dogs, as you can see, are very much pro-public uh, education, which would be funded. But we, unlike a lot of other people, are anti-state aid. We don't believe that the private sector should have one iota, one penny of public money. Unfortunately, they do. In many cases, they get a lot more money than, than public schools do, and then on top of that, they have very high fees. And the public sometimes uh, find it quite extraordinary what actually goes on in these schools. And there's two very interesting articles Dale's going to tell us about. There was a graduate from, um, I think it was uh, St Kevin's in Melbourne, who came back and did an interesting protest. And there's a very interesting protest from the graduates of the Knox uh, Presbyterian School in the north of Sydney. Over to you, Dale. Thank you, Jean. Yes, uh, the first article uh, is about a Melbourne photographer who broke into St Kevin's and he was a former student and burnt his blazer in protest of toxic masculinity. And this is by Michael DiOrio. Okay, yesterday, Melbourne photographer James Robinson broke into his old high school, St Kevin's College in Melbourne, to set fire to his old school blazer and made out with his partner on the lawn. And it's one of the most powerful things you'll see this year. You see, what Robinson did was not an act of vandalism or disrespect, but an act of peaceful and artistic protest, a call out for people who experience toxic masculinity, homophobia, transphobia and bullying in all boys colleges to unite under the one burning blazer. The photograph was prompted by uh, Jordan Degoe being arrested for allegedly assaulting a woman in New on a New York dance floor and punching her male friend. Although the charge of forcible touching against Degoe has since been dropped, the point still stands. Degoe is an ex-student of St Kevin's College, just one of many private schools across Australia that have been the subject of allegations around unaccountability, violence, misogyny and heteronormativity. This alleged behaviour is damaging to the boys who attend the schools, but even more so to those who identify as LGBTQIA+. Robinson's burning blazer and partner Pash represent this culture of helplessness promoted in queer people who attend these schools and is an act of bringing love back into a place that teaches only shame. I broke into the school yesterday to protest, writes Robinson. Something snapped in me this time. The patriarchal culture I saw inside the school gates appeared to have burst out and made its way to New York, which has been my home for the last five years, allegedly assaulting someone in a city where many in my queer community, like me, are rape and sexual assault survivors. St Kevin's is a bubble where privileged young men can rehearse oppression without consequence before graduating with flying colours into the public, he continues. A place where locker room talk exists openly in hallways and classrooms. 
I saw revenge porn against girls from sister schools. I saw the objectifying of female teachers and the transphobic bullying of a teacher who transitioned. I saw friends make a pact of silence to protect two students who pulled a knife on a taxi driver. I saw a system designed to yet to let young boys think that they can do anything, assault anyone, and get away with it. Uh, as someone who attended an all-boys Catholic school in Sydney and identifies as queer, this post completely resonated with me, says uh, the writer of this article. Some of the alleged behaviour that, that James describes at St Kevin's is in line with what I witnessed during my own schooling. A knife was pulled on a queer kid while they were on the bus and teachers went on homophobic rants in the middle of classes unrelated to sexuality. Young boys were allowed to say awful things about women without any consequence. This is why posts like this that create a conversation are incredibly important in generating awareness among, amongst other queer people and letting them know that they are not alone. For goodness sake, we go to these schools to get an education and better ourselves. And yet all I saw was a culture of toxic masculinity, homophobia and misogyny developing in straight students and a culture of fear and isolation amongst queer kids. It's not good enough and something needs to change. St Kevin's principal, Deborah Parkers, told the ABC that she hopes to meet with James in the near future. I think James can teach us and help us as other students can, there are some wonderful opportunities for students to bring forth their, their stories, she said. And that sort of goes back to that whole, oh, boys will be boys things where, you know, behaviour that is abhorrent is just excused and it's not okay, this uh, behaviour without consequence. Well, it has, a con has real world repercussions. Uh, the second article is... Um, about a scathing billboard that's now parked outside Knox Grammar after an ex-student punched a woman. Again, it's by Michael Diorio. Aussie women's health startup Ovira has placed a moving billboard outside Knox Grammar School after former student Nicholas Drummond, who punched a woman in the face, avoided any conviction recorded in court last week. Uh, avoided having any conviction recorded in court last week. In case you missed it, Last week, Drummond pleaded guilty to assaulting a woman and a male bystander in Sydney, but was only placed on a good behaviour bond. Judge Robert Sutherland told the New South Wales District Court that the victim's dress might have been perceived by a former student of Knox to be provocative before deeming the assault convictions as not necessary. Victim blaming. In response... Yeah. Yeah, in response to this, Avira has decided to park a semi-trailer out the front of Knox Grammar School, which reads, you will not silence our pain. This situation is disappointing, but unfortunately not, surpri not surprising, said Ovira founder Alice Williams, who also parked the semi-trailer, said in a statement. It's just one example of how alarmingly comfortable our society is with pain and suffering being, ex being an expected part of life for women. It's reflected in the horrific numbers of violence of, against women and filters all the way through to so many parts of our daily lives, like period pain, endometriosis, painful sex, where women's pain is repeatedly dismissed. Williams says that the women, the woman who was the victim of the assault has shown incredible amounts of courage and that her story allows others to understand that they're not alone and that comments about dressing too provocatively or otherwise should not be tolerated. We stand in solidarity with her and want to amplify her voice while offering hope to the thousands of other women suffering in silence. We hope that our actions can empower these women, Williams continued. Whether it was provocative is redundant. Activist Chanel Contos also posted about the issue on her Instagram, sharing an image of what she says the woman was wearing on the night she was assaulted. People need to keep being reminded of the injustices that are happening in our court system and the violence men are perpetrating every day, Contos said. It tells us that privilege and entitlement are not only the reason gender-based violence occur, but also why no accountability is held. Yes, I wonder where the judge went to school. 
Yeah, could we expect the same result if that was a 20-year-old from a low socioeconomic status who didn't have Nicholas's barrister? And I'd just like to remind listeners that, again, 3CR will be covering this year's Slut Walk, which was started over 10 years ago after women were being in blamed uh, for uh, being raped because of what they were wearing. A police officer at a university campus told the girls on the university campus that if they didn't want to get raped, then they shouldn't dress like sluts. And ever since then, every year we've had a slut walk where women and all people walk in solidarity uh, against the idea that the victim is to blame. So 3CR covers that. We'll be covering that again this year. So go to the 3CR website to find out more, 3cr.org.au. Yes, well, that's a very interesting uh, stories of how people, ex-graduates of these schools, are protesting against the toxic culture within them. But remember that that toxic culture is paid for with our hard-won tax dollars. But uh, the next story about Mullumbimby Steiner School is an interesting one because whereas in our public system our teachers, parents and students have been more than willing to be vaccinated for the general common good, up there in Mullumbimby there are a number of teachers who are anti-vaxxers. And although our taxes are going towards the education of the children in this school, Let's hear what's happening. Over to you, Sol. Thanks, Jean. So uh, Mullumbimby Steiner School has lost 40 staff over the COVID-19 vaccination deadline. A third of all the staff at a school in the Byron Bay region have not met a government-imposed vaccination deadline to continue teaching. 40 staff at Shearwater are yet to be vaccinated despite Monday's, Monday's deadline. The school has been forced to draw on its casual pool of teachers. Shearwater sits in an area with some of the lowest childhood immunisation rates in Australia. From Monday, only staff who are fully vaccinated will be able to work at schools in New South Wales. James Goodlett, principal of Shearwater, a Steiner school at Mullumbimby, said 40 of his staff were not vaccinated, including 30 teachers. It will be a huge loss for the school, he said. We have some teachers who have been here for many years, served the school well and really created an incredible environment for learning. Mr Goodlett is hopeful up to half of the affected staff will decide to get the jab before the start of the new school year, but in the meantime, classes will have to continue. Teachers have been brought in from interstate. Shearwater has called on its casual staff pool to fill in for the five weeks at the end of the year, recruiting educators from other states who are experienced in teaching the Steiner curriculum. To come in with suitably qualified experienced teachers in Steiner education, that's a niche market, Mr Goodlett said. Leading the school through such a significant change has been a challenging experience. I've had to have very difficult conversations with people just to point out the reality of the situation, and that's taken its toll on me personally, Mr Goodlett said. Malmbimbi is an area recognised as having some of the lowest childhood immunisation rates in Australia. Between 60 and 70% of eligible residents in Malmbimbi are fully vaccinated, with 70 to 80% having received a single dose, about 10% below the rate of neighbouring postcodes. Local preschools are also bracing for staff losses. The Northern Rivers preschool sector is also bracing for a significant fallout next week when dozens of unvaccinated teachers will no longer be able to work. There are 42 community preschools across the region and many will lose staff who have chosen not to get vaccinated. Lismore-based preschool educator Natasha Livstock says her entire centre is losing four of its 11 staff. The smaller preschools, who may only have a team of three, just losing one is a third of their team, she says. Well, there's levels of irresponsibility, isn't there? And uh, we remind you that these schools receive public money. But we'll have a bit of a break and then Jeff is going to fill us in on news from America. 
Looking for an easy way to keep up with your annual 3CR subscription? You can now set up an annual debit from your bank account or credit card, and once a year your payment will be automatically deducted. You can cancel at any time and you'll get a reminder each year before payment. Be a constant supporter of Melbourne's precious independent community radio station and set up a recurring payment today. Just go to 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe. that this country is covered in the blood of Aboriginal people and the length and breadth of it. Australia is a part of an undeclared war and a secret invasion. And it began 250 years ago this year. Now we have a country that's built on lies, deceit, fraud, propaganda and race hatred indoctrination. And it's been 250 years of us being oppressed in our own land, brutally. We might be oppressed, but we understand what freedom is, and we fight for it every day, and we've resisted this occupation since day one. And I predict colonialism, capitalism, imperialism is going to get knocked out cold by about mid this year. 3CR, your station in struggle and solidarity. To donate, go to 3cr.org.au. We hope you're still listening to us because we're going to go from Australia over to America. And uh, we reminded you earlier, and we'll be talking next week about the labour laws that have been introduced by Biden. But um, Jeff has got some other news from America for us. Over to you, Jeff. Yeah, thanks, Jean. Um, this is a good news story, really. It's about people fighting back against um, the, the growing pressure from the right uh, to... Um, to, uh, to uh, attack what they call woke culture, which is basically segueing into what Dale was reading about, these sort of uh, toxic sexual miso- uh, you know, culture, male culture and that sort of thing, traditional culture. So this is from a, um, a blog by Dana Ravitch, uh, whose site is d- dedicated to uh, discussing a better education for all. Uh, it's November 8, uh, 2021, and it's entitled... Dan Greenberg, how teachers in my Ohio community beat back the attack on our school board. Okay, and it goes on. Dan Greenberg is a teacher in Ohio and a member of the board of the Network for Public Education. He teaches high school English in Sylvania in the northwest of the state. Here he writes about the power of teachers who are trusted by parents in the community to refute slanders about their schools. He writes... About a week before November 2nd election, a colleague of mine sent me a picture of a campaign literature piece supporting candidates for the school board in my community. It said, kids and taxpayers first, keep woke politics out of our classrooms. Uh-huh, this sounds like Mr Tudge. Yeah, it is exactly. <laughs> Mr Tudge, Tudge. Uh, and And uh, I think there's an opinion piece in The Age today that says that Mr Morrison is going to try and make the curriculum, particularly the history curriculum, an election issue. So um, it was made an election issue also, of course, in Virginia. Yeah. Yeah, no, exactly. And this is really a small, this is at at the grassroots level. This is a a group of parents trying to uh, install Trump-like politics into their their local public school. And, And the postcard that they were putting out was paid for by the Northwest Ohio Coalition for Public School Excellence, which is a group that was not only supporting conservative candidates in my community, he says, but a neighbouring community with the exact same yard signs, just different names. So it's a coordinated assault on public schools uh, in reality um, and whose money is behind it, who can guess? The, the money behind it, I suggest, is the charter school uh, lobby. Exactly. The, the privatisation lobby. As it oh. has always been in, in, in Australia, the private schools have been, well, from the very beginning, they have been attacking public education in this country. But in America, 
the public schools to, until recently, had had escaped a lot of this, but unfortunately, the last 40 years, with the um, neoliberal philosophy and the uh, dollar notes that people can see in private education, has undermined it. Yeah, um, that's right. And this is well. This is actually a good news story. This is where the, the teachers themselves have organised uh, to fight this. So, anyway. Um, not to be outdone, the Northwest Ohio Conservative Coalition blanketed voters in my school district with robocall messages telling voters, voters to support conservative candidates and keep work politics out of the classroom. The calls seem to go out indiscriminately, even to the president of the Democratic Club in my community who received one. These campaign tactics, filled with lies about schools teaching critical race theory, had an interesting impact. I don't know how much they motivated conservatives to head to the polls, but the group I saw them motivate most was the teachers. At a time when teachers are emotionally and physically exhausted, when they seem to be focused on making it through one day at a time, these campaign lies seemed to tap some reserve of strength and energy teachers did not know they had. Teachers started posting to social media, pushing back on the CRT lies. Um, they started posting images of the four teacher union-endorsed candidates on their Facebook pages. They sent text messages to friends and family with the names of teacher-endorsed candidates. One teacher even wrote a message across the entire back window of her van in excellent teacher handwriting, telling community members to support teachers by voting for our endorsed candidates. On November 2nd, as the results came in, the teacher-supported candidates were leading and in the end, the four candidates in the two districts who were coming to the school boards with a priority of woke politics and critical race theory lost. The campaign money, the campaign literature, the yard signs, the robocalls, they could not beat the voice of teachers and the voice of truth. So if the people trust their teachers, this is what this, mess this article is telling us. No matter what money goes behind these sort of Clive Palmer campaigns and these neoliberal campaigns and these woke messages, Sky News, that sort of thing, no matter what money they pour in, people trust their teachers, their public school teachers, because they know they have the best interests of their kids at heart. And that was proven in this case. Um, it was a really good news story and it shows the power of grassroots politics at its best. Something yes, to be remembered. I, I think, yeah, I think that's, uh, that's very true. And it is a good news story. And the dogs are behind our Victorian teachers too. Uh, we understand they must be paid properly. They are trusted by our parents. They are trusted by our community much more than our politicians. And um, we are very proud of them and our schools. So the time has come for our great state school. <laughs> Every week on the Doctor Program, we have a special segment to show a different state school is a great school. State schools are great schools. School of the week. State schools. School of the week. Great state schools. State schools. School of the week. School for the week here on the Dogs Program. And our great state school for this week is Berwick Lodge Primary School. Congratulations, Berwick Lodge Primary School. I'm going to read the principal's welcome from their website. Um, it reads, we are all very proud of our school, having served the families of the city of Casey since 1990. Our school motto is learning for life. And to that end, we offer a very broad range of curriculum programs so as to ensure that all of our students have the very best opportunity to make the most of their interests and talents. As you navigate our website, you will see enthusiastic students fully engaged in a wide variety of activities. And it is that engagement and the success that comes with it that we especially cherish at our school. There is something for everyone at Berwick Lodge and it is a privilege and honour for me to be the founding principal of this wonderful centre of learning. What a lovely thing for a principal of a school to say. I feel like that was very well, well read. Um, the gardens 
I can tell you about the gardens. Over the past few years, we have designed, created and built three new gardens at Berwick Lodge Primary School. There's a community garden. That was their first garden and it was located at the end of the gymnasium and next to their after-school building. The garden was officially opened by Mick Moyland in November 2014 and um, their garden was built by volunteer community members, families, staff and students with mostly recyclable and reclaimed materials. How resourceful is that? The garden is an ever-evolving space that changes season by season. The garden provides hands-on learning experiences where the students develop an understanding of gardening and growing their own food, which I think is very important in this day and age. We need to understand the process of soil to mouth. After successfully applying for an ANZAC grant, they commenced construction during 2016 of their memorial garden which is located just near the staff car park. The garden encompasses their flagpole, memorial seat, Gallipoli roses, remembrance rosemary, and their signs commemorating the conflicts Australian soldiers have fought in. The garden was opened in conjunction with Remembrance Day 2016 by Judith Grayley, MP, representing the Victorian Minister for Veteran Affairs. Well, Mr Tudge wouldn't, wouldn't think this was a... Uh... It wasn't. It would think this was a very good thing because he believes that they, all our children, should be taught all about ANZAC. Um, but when when he was talking, I got when he was writing about this, I got a bit worried about uh, the way they could be uh, making our young boys ready for World War Three, the same as they made our young people ready for World War One. Uh, There's definitely the a way that um, war needs to be taught and I feel like glorifying it verges on um, wrong. And as you say, you know, what are the motives behind glorifying war? I don't think it's a very real... We should, we, yes, but we should certainly, um, our children should be aware of what happened in the mm. First World War, particularly on the Somme, where my view is that there were a lot of incompetent generals and uh, quite a few very brave men but mm. uh, who lost their lives. But, uh, yes, yeah, so they got uh, a bit of money from elsewhere for their Anzac garden. Are there any more gardens? This yes, is we have another garden. Thing. Sounds pretty cool. It's a sensory garden, um, which is nearly complete. It's their newest garden, and they have developed it within their school, obviously. Their sensory garden has items and plants that can stimulate or calm the senses, including touching plants, smelling leaves, listening to water, music and movement of plants, seeing colours, tasting foods and exploring other tactile areas of the garden, which I think is a very um, interesting way to learn. I feel like every child has their own way of learning and trying to encompass that is um, and provide that is admirable. The garden is now open to their school community to use during both class and recess times, which is lovely. They have a garden club. They have a very active student garden club. And as the garden continues to grow, the students are involved with planting, propagating, weeding, composting and harvesting. Students also attend special garden club excursions and cook with the produce from the garden. Moving on to their junior school council. The junior school council is the student leadership group at their school. Two students are selected from each class from their peers and teachers. And those students have shown that they are responsible, dependable and hardworking. They are able to speak publicly and represent their peers in important whole school matters. They meet every week on a Friday and they look at community concerns and issues and work hard to raise money food and other items to address some of those needs. They also look at how they can improve our school, their school and make it a better place for everyone. I'm going to throw some facts and figures at you from the ACARA website. The school has 635 pupils, 316 boys and 319 girls. The ICSIA value of the school is 1,042, which is above average. The students are broadly representative of the community. 
20% have parents from the upper um, 25% income, 30% in the second highest, 31% from the third quartile and 18% from the poorest 25% of the community. 31% of the pupils speak a language other than English and none of are of Indigenous parentage. It costs the taxpayer only $10,000 to educate the student at that school, which is... It's 2,000 less yeah. than the resource standard, yes. What a bargain. Isn't that fantastic? The school well, receives $1.2 million from the federal government and $4.7 million from the state government. $381,000 from fees and $108,000 from private fundraising. The capital grants in the last three years have been only $521,000 and the NAP plan results are just fine. Congratulations, Berwick Lodge Primary School. You seem to be doing very well. I think it should be said, or two things should be said about this school. The principal, Mr Grossick, is a great activist for public education and um, he's actually doing wonders in this school on 2,000 less than he should be asked to do per student. Not an, But he is very much aware of what goes on there um, because the school is in a fairly well-to-do area and um, I think you'll find that the parents uh, pay about $500 to $600 to send their children to the school. So it's not free, but they're surrounded by many private schools, uh, which would, in fact, be getting a lot more money per student than this school. So congratulations to the parents, the teachers, and the principal of this school. But our time has gone. Look at our website at www.adults.info if you want to find out more about us and watch for the podcast on 3CR's website. So it's bye for now. Ten years dead, I never died. Sir.